from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Stephen Freiberg on August 11, 2014. Stephen is a physicist living in the Silicon Valley and working in the semiconductor industry. He has done pioneering experiments in quantum optics, optical telecommunications, and photonics, and is author of 46 technical papers, 7 patents, and numerous scientific conference presentations. He has written and spoken frequently on science and religion and its relationship to the Baha'i teachings, and is co-founder of the Science and Religion Special Interest Group of the Association of Baha'i Studies. He is also a co-founder of Common Ground, a blog devoted to faith, reason, science, and religion, and co-founder of Japan's Association for Baha'i Studies. I started the interview by asking Stephen where he grew up, and what was it like growing up there? I grew up in Socorro, New Mexico, high desert, on a college campus. It was great. The, uh, the Milky Way is about five feet away from my nose. It was beautiful sunsets, uh, surrounded by academics and those kind of people. It was great. And what was religious life like growing up? So I went to Methodist Sunday school because my parents... Uh, felt that I needed to have a religious education. But when I was 14 years old and I dropped out, they were quite happy. Why were they happy? Because they were kind of secular-minded, and they were those people who kind of felt that, you know, religion, you know, was uh, kind of something that was not needed. Stephen and I were going beautifully Skyping using his cell phone. Then all of a sudden, his reception became intermittent. As a result, we had to interrupt our interview and change to doing Skype on his computer. Unfortunately, in so doing, his voice quality suffered. I apologize for the distraction. I resume the interview by asking Stephen if he had religious tendencies. Every once in a while, even though I didn't think of myself as having spiritual tendencies, uh, if I was asked to say a prayer, I'd sometimes get lost in it and come to surface like 45 minutes later. This didn't happen very often, but it happened occasionally. So it was like deep meditation or what? Yeah, and that was kind of actually easy to do in New Mexico where you could go out in the countryside and surrounded by great beauty and things like this. You, you really weren't involved in organized religion growing up, it sounds like. No, all I did is I went to Sunday school until they got tired of my obnoxious questions. <laughs> and, and what kind of questions were those? Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I think I was uh, asking something about the divinity of Jesus Christ or something like that. Now, what's confusing, Stephen, is that it sounds like you were self-motivated to go to Sunday school. Is that true? No, I think the story was that my parents, who basically didn't go to church, were not churchgoers. They were kind of what people would now call secular humanists. 
I still felt that I needed to be able to make a choice between being religious and non-religious. So they felt that it was a good idea to send me to Sunday school. So I had some kind of exposure to religion. And then uh, at what point did you stop going to Sunday school? When I was about 14 years old and getting bored with it and uh, finally they didn't like my questions, I think that's when I stopped going to Sunday school. And what were your interests growing up? I was introverted and very much a book reader. So I was interested in kind of like books. I was interested in science fiction. I tend to go to a library and read every book on a certain topic in the library. So I love to read. And of course, you know, grew up in one of these kind of neighborhoods they don't seem to have anymore where, you know, you spend all, all evenings playing with your friends, go out, you know, have adventures, this kind of thing. So what did you do after high school? Uh, after high school, I went out to college. But what actually happened is that I started to go on a search for meaning. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what to do with my life. I had grown up in New Mexico on a college campus uh, when the Vietnam War was raging. I was interested in physics. I wanted to become a physicist. But uh, growing up in New Mexico in the land of Los Alamos National Laboratories, places like that, it seemed to me that being a physicist meant that you were involved in the military industrial complex. So I was torn. I didn't want to go out and, and have a career in a world that was busy creating war, which is I thought physics was. So I went on a search, and I went on a search for uh, meaning. And uh, like a lot of people in that generation, I looked at a lot of different religions, Hinduism, Christianity. So I went through a period, an exhaustive period of four or five years of searching for what I could do with my life. And did that involve travel? Involved hitchhiking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those days we hitchhiked back and forth from coast to coast. Involved travel to northern New Mexico, the communes of Taos. Involved a lot of hiking back and forth. A lot of interaction with friends and people. Going to yoga classes. All those kinds of things that... uh, Many of them very fun that people did back in those days. What communes or communities did you visit during that four or five year period? There was a place that was associated with the Harvard professor who became a guru uh, up in uh, Taos. Gloriously beautiful commune was uh, Ram Das's commune, the author of Be Here Now, which was kind of very influential for us. The most influential place for me was actually a school a school for hippies in Taos, New Mexico. Apparently, these were very educated hippies who wanted to make sure that their children were very educated. The walls were lined with bookcases, and the bookcases were filled with immeasurable books on every single topic and reawakened my interest in learning. So that was maybe the most influential place. I went, you know, we, you know, a bunch of people would hang out together, sleep overnight, go off on adventures in Taos. Taos was a great place for adventures. So what concluded your four-year investigation? What happened is I went out into the mountains near Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
was living in a cave, which was great fun. It was a beautiful place, and I'd, it's almost like living in paradise. You know, there was my, I shared the cave with a kangaroo mouse. You know, you'd go hiking up and down the mountains. But some kind of call came, and it were, were friends who were, same as me, looking for spiritual principles. One day I, I encountered a Baha'i in uh, University of New Mexico campus in Albuquerque. It was actually at a dance. It was like some kind of famous rock group playing or something like this. She invited me over to a fireside at their house. What's a fireside? It kind of depends on who puts it on. But it's a, a group of people getting together to talk about religion, about the Baha'i faith, about spiritual issues, those kind of things. And so I met some Baha'is. I forgot to mention, you know, life can get complicated and can get fun. One of the complications and one of the fun parts is when you have visions that seem to steer you in certain different directions. The visions I had seemed to involve the stars. Of course, New Mexico, high mountain, desert, you can see the stars very clearly. And the stars occasionally would realign themselves either in negative ways, that was the day I got arrested, <laughs> or positive ways, that's the day I met the Baha'is. And the stars somehow caught my attention. They seemed to speak of great beauty and, and happiness and, and depth and purpose. I'm a physicist. We don't have... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't sound like somebody who was inclined to physics, <laughs> which is very uh, interesting. Oh, I'm very inclined to physics. My dad was a mathematician. You know, all my neighbors were physicists. And physics was the hardest thing around, so I felt I had to master it. So what happened at this fireside? Well, it wasn't the fireside. It was the people I met at the fireside. Very interesting Baha'is from from uh, the Albuquerque area in New Mexico over. Eventually what happened is they brought a fellow by the name of Cedric Conkle to my house, and they were going to give me a personal fireside. And Cedric Conkle was a old Irishman that had been a ranch cook handyman. I think he was getting on into his 80s when he came over. He spoke with an Irish brogue. He had that Irish gift for telling stories, something happened to me. I realized that my search was over, and my time of desperate search without finding anything was over, and I found what I was looking for. So I became a Baha'i. So how did you know that? I mean, uh, what did that look like for you? Is it possible to share with folks? Well, I had gone around and looked at all the different religions of the world, and I'd found something wrong with each of them, but I'd found something right with each of them, too. From Hinduism, I actually learned to believe in, believe in God, that God existed. From Islam, I'd learned that there were people who had grown up in desert mountain areas like me, who had seen the same stars that I had, and who wrote this incredibly beautiful script that's spoke volumes about mystical urgency. So I'd found a lot of different things, but I hadn't found anything that quite 
worked. What the Baha'is did is that they came, they gave me a very satisfying, uh, how should we say, a logical explanation or reasoned explanation that put in perspective uh, all the different religions of the world, that they were all part of kind of process of uh, progressive revelation where God, as I came, came to understand it, successively unfolded guidance for humanity. The thing that really impressed me about the Baha'is, and I think I learned something from that, was that they just loved questions. They, the harder the question that I would ask, the better they liked it. And I got an impression that, that even if they didn't do a good job of answering the question, that they knew about a source of understanding that they were referring to that uh, that's probably very good at answering the, the question. And of course, since I was young and obnoxious, they didn't mind at all when, <laughs> when I asked my toughest, hardest questions, the one that turned everybody else away. How long were you exposed to the Baha'i faith before you decided to become a Baha'i? Well, that's a good question. Probably about six months mm-hmm. or so. After accepting the Baha'i faith, what did you do? I was lucky in that one of the believers in Albuquerque, a Persian nurse, decided to take me, take me aside and teach me some of the fundamentals of the Baha'i faith. She did what sometimes the Baha'is called deepening with me. She'd share with me some of the passages from the teachings of Baha'u'llah. Baha'u'llah is the, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. It, it's very interesting because I'd had one of those experiences where it's kind of overwhelmingly powerful. It took about a couple months <laughs> for me to settle down. After that, I realized that I could go back and start studying physics. I no longer felt that studying physics was to contribute to the what I call the uh, military-industrial complex, but that I could study physics with the interest of service to humanity. And the high teachings, as people told me, uh, emphasized that work in the spirit of service was worship. I think one of the things I learned from the Baha'i faith is that I could pursue physics. I didn't have to do it uh, in terms of enrollment in the physics for bombs or weapons or things like this. So I went back to school, went back and started, restarted my studies in physics. And how far did you progress in your studies? I uh, eventually got a PhD at the University of Rochester, and then I went did a postdoc at Bell Labs, spent 10, 12 years in Japan doing basic research, met a lot of very interesting people, a couple of Nobel Prize winners, worked with some, some of the best people in the world. So yeah, I got very much into, into physics. What was university like for you? I went to school both in the deserts of New Mexico and in Rochester, New York. And since I was a little bit undisciplined, the discipline was the hard part. But there's lots of, of people to do things with. There's lots of fun. 
uh, in New Mexico, we did research on thunderstorms, which meant that I spent the summer on top of a high mountain with thunderstorms over my head, dodging lightning, this, this kind of stuff. In Rochester, it was slightly different because Rochester didn't have the kind of open feeling of the West. It was the East Coast. And whenever I tried to walk someplace, there were usually trees or property lines and things like this. I couldn't see very far. There's no mountains on the horizon. I felt hemmed in. That meant that I spent all my time working late in the in labs. And then in Rochester, I finally discovered that if you want to enjoy life, you have to go skiing in the winter. <laughs> Why did you end up going to Japan? I kind of felt that, you know, if you have a, a physics degree that is open invitation to see the world. But the other side of the coin was that I felt that my perspective was too limited to the Western way of seeing things. And I felt if I went over to Japan, Japan was a very successful East Asian culture where the way of addressing issues in the world was quite different. I felt that that would be a great benefit in showing me a different way to live, to see how to uh, engage with the world. And I had gotten extremely interested in China. Uh, for some reason, I'd fallen in love with Chinese culture and immersed myself in its philosophy, its literature, and things like this. But I couldn't go to China because it, this was before Tiananmen Square, so there's no realistic possibilities for, for me to go there, so Japan was the closest. How would you say that your spiritual experiences in your spiritual quest and your interest in Eastern thought influenced your work in physics that maybe others in the discipline might not approach the work in the same way? I think that the physics has a certain set of rigor and that it's really based upon mathematics and experiment. One of the things that's so impressive to me about it is that it works for everybody the same way. There's no such thing as Japanese physics or American physics or European physics. In that sense, what physics does is it provides a way of working together that everybody from any culture can be a, a part of. So it provides a kind of big tent, I think, and physics provided that. So, for example, when I went to China, I did a tour of a number of different universities back in 1987. And what I found is that the Chinese had kind of decided to replace Confucianism with, with physics, hmm. which was kind of interesting, because it seemed to be at the forefront of investigating nature reality. And some people would say even farther than that, the, you know, the nature divinity. So, Stephen, would you say you were a researcher? Yes, I was an experimentalist, mm -hmm. and I did uh, experiments in the lab. So the way I envision it is that, you know, physics is sort of the framework of how things work that you're exploring. But does not research require some kind of open-mindedness to think of possibilities that maybe other 
people that might think more linearly may not necessarily think about when they're doing their research? Uh, both yes and no. Because it's a discipline that has its own constraints, it's sometimes hard to think outside the box. It's sometimes mm -hmm. hard to think in terms of new paradigms. But if you are around people who are at the cutting edge of it, you can watch people who are eager to embrace new points of view, and that can open you up to, to, to start to think about the think outside the box. I think when I was younger, I kind of thought of physics as a kind of, you know, oh, the advanced learning of the age. I mean, I couldn't understand it when I was really young, so I, I felt I had to understand it. So my interest in physics was more along the lines of understanding the, getting access to the best understanding of the world that was available. I find, especially particle physics, I don't know if that's the right term, is a mysterious science, especially when, in you, when you get into quantum theory and the whole concept of how particles act differently when they're observed than when they're not observed and things like that. I mean, you really have to think out of the box to, to really understand some of the theories that physicists create in order to, to explain their experiential results. I, I was an experimentalist in what's called quantum optics, which is the application of quantum mechanics to the light. Uh, a laser is a quantum optic light source, and it has certain special properties that violate common sense. And so I do these experiments with such things called entanglement, where you take two photons. In principle, they could be on the opposite side of the universe, but they'd be part of some kind of coherent whole that existed even beyond uh, the space-time limitations would allow. They'd have a unity beyond even what general relativity allowed. So, yeah, there was a lot of very interesting stuff in physics, and it was all driven by the need to explain experiments, which developed these kind of incredible theories, which kind of left our kind of naive physical interpretations of reality behind. So physics is a, was a very rigorous science that it could explain, offer incredible explanations. Quantum physics, of course, is the physics of the 20th century and allows for internet communications, computers, uh, semiconductors, all that kind of stuff is, a, of course, lasers is, is a result of quantum physics. So here you have this kind of esoteric stuff with this kind of methods that violates what people think about as the, the causal relations uh, that sometimes physics is held to imply, but that enables this incredible, fantastic opening up of possibilities for worldwide communications, things like this. So yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff is mind-expanding when you think about it that way. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I, I made the comment that it appears to me that physics, in some ways, you have to have somewhat of an expansive mind to explain what you're seeing in the quantum world. But I would say that beyond physics, if you, if you think about biology or 
some of the life sciences or some of the system sciences and you know, environmental sciences, you have to go beyond the somewhat simple world that physics describes effectively to looking at how everything is interrelated. So physics provides some kind of clues, of fact, very definite clues that you have to look at things a certain way, but it sometimes can have some kind of constraints and you have to be willing to expand your mind beyond the boundaries of physics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I understand that you are involved with the Wilmette Institute. I was wondering if you could explain for folks what the Wilmette Institute is and what courses you may have taught there. The Wilmette Institute is a distance learning framework. A number of different classes on a number of different subjects are taught via people logging into chat sites, having access to class lessons, lots of email communications back and forth, this kind of thing. I taught a course called Science and Religion and Discourse, and the whole topic was about how to to address the need for science and religion to get together to heal that kind of thundering that some people have subjected it to, and to be able to talk about it with everybody. And we focused the course not just on experts, but we focused the, the course on, on everybody. And the kind of background that uh, we were trying to promote is universal scientific literacy. The idea that, that everybody in the future should be knowledgeable about the, the thinking methods of science and to a certain extent about what it teaches and that they should know how to uh, look at things they learn about on the internet and so on and so forth. But more than that, that they should understand that science is for the worlds of studying religion as well. So universal scientific literacy in one sense means that everybody should learn how to should, should learn how to think scientifically at, at at least the basic level and they should learn some of the things that teaches but but also that they should learn that it's a complement it's a complement to religion and that if you can think scientifically and religiously and spiritually it, it's a very powerful mechanism for carrying humanity forward so that was kind of the focus on the, of our particular course this relationship between science and religion, what is the Baha'i principle in play in regards to science and religion? Baha'i faith teaches that science and religion are in harmony with each other, or that they should be in harmony with each other. One of the better ways to say it is that true science and true religion, and the reason you'd say it that way is because allows for the possibility that there's a science that's not true and religion that's not focused in the right way are like the wings of one bird that the bird lacking say true science or lacking true religion is basically going to flop around in circles not be able to fly very accurately the Baha'is view 
the future of the world as depending on people embracing these two most powerful forces of human life, science and religion. Stephen, is there something that you would like to do that maybe you haven't done yet in your life? I keep on thinking I need to write more and more to explore this whole topic of science and religion. So I kind of been preparing myself for uh, immersing myself in the topic, being able to explain it to people, being able to interact with this pretty big dialogue between science and religion that's going on around the world, and to be able to make contributions to that dialogue. That's kind of my goal, the thing that I haven't done yet and I'd like to do. I'm at the stage of writing blogs. Mm -hmm. I've written a couple hundred blogs, basically on things like science and religion. I've written a number of scientific papers, and then I started to write some papers on science and religion, but I haven't, uh, haven't gone too far. Can you imagine what your life might have been like if you had not run across the Baha'i faith? That's a good question. It's one I never thought about. I was focused on finding something that allowed me to engage with the world, to give me purpose, to allow me to dedicate myself to something that I believed in. And the Baha'i faith gave me that engagement with the world so I could turn around and focus my, my energies in positive directions. So I don't know where I would have gone if uh, I hadn't found that. You might still have been on your quest. <laughs> I might still have been on my quest. <laughs> or dead in a ditch someplace. <laughs> well, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your story and your thoughts with us. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. Yeah, sure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stephen Freiberg a physicist who devotes his time to the effort of uniting science and religion. You can visit his blog at commonground.net. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
like to go with me down my dead end street. Would you like to come with me to village ghetto land? See the people lock their doors while robbers laugh and steal. Beggars watch and eat their meals from garbage Glass is everywhere. It's a bloody scene. Killing plagues the citizens. Yes, they own police. Children play with rusted cars. Swords cover their Politicians laugh and drink, drunk to all demands. Starvation roams the street. Babies die before they're born, infected by the greed. Now some folks say that we should be glad for what we have. Tell me, would you? Happy, will it get to Stay by, they made me beautiful brails. Strive that your actions day by day may be beautiful prayers. Turn towards God and seek always to do that which is right.
comfort the sorrowful, bring healing to the sick, reassure the fearful, rescue the oppressed, bring hope to the hopeless, shelter the destitute. Strive that your actions day by day may be beautiful prayers. Turn towards God and seek always to do that which is right and noble. And raise the poor. Raise the fallen. Comfort the sorrowful. Bring healing to the sick. Reassure the fearful. Rescue the oppressed. Bring hope to the hopeless. Shelter the destitute. Strive that your actions day by day may be beautiful prayers. Turn towards God and seek always to do that which is right.
cause me to rest under the shadow of the wings of thy grace for the flame of separation from thee With friendliness and charity and love and then some fellowship I'd recognize Baha'u'llah and been to where they buried him I cried in his shrine where I prayed for my parents And I prayed for the world to break away from hate and arrogance Science is advanced but the soul is old carriages Lost in the music till I found a glimpse Of this spiritual map like a round of fists Now I hear the voice and I love the sound of it You see the promised one has come, we're all surrounded by his countenance Searching through this earth for a truth that was concealed I found it in the words that Baha'u'llah revealed I've walked on so many different Past and been to so many different places I've learned so many different lessons But seen so many similar faces But it all fades to blackness When I fail to get the practice That I need to be the spiritual being You've seen in me since back When I was walking all alone Talking like I built this home When it was the carpenter Who made it all alone Praise God I need to redefine my life I'm living so raw Cause the flame of separation Has consumed my heart I'll follow you my lord I'm ready to do my part I'm ready to do your will So here I am my God For the flame of separation from thee Must be lofty, your elders luminous, your mind spiritual, that your souls may become a dawning place for the sun of reality. Let your hearts be like unto two pure mirrors, reflecting the Be like 
two sweet singing birds Perched upon the highest branches of the tree of life Filling the air with songs of love and rapture WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.